Manx Radio Podcasts, powered by Shaw. Hello and welcome to our weekly Women Today podcast. On the programme this week, we asked if you would have a male midwife and spoke to Mark Harris from Birthing for Blokes. We met local treasure Ruby Midgel from the Ferry Cottage filling station in Laxey, found out how best parents can deal with their kids' exam stress, and we caught up with award-winning PC Lou the morning after the annual Chief Constable Awards. But first, it was a certain someone's rather large birthday a week ago. So my darling co-hosts, Beth and Joe sprang a surprise to start the week. Best of my good afternoon. It's Monday and this is Women's Day on Manx Radio with me, Beth Espy. Me, Christy Dehaven. And me, Joe Pack. Yay! You remembered. I made it. I made it in all the way from Peel. This is so good to be back with you guys. Oh, it's Great yeah, for us on, too. Quicker, quicker, sorry, quicker. Sorry. I forgot what she looks like. Oh, <laughs> oh she's gorgeous, isn't she? Oh, a bit of a tan. Yeah, you're very brown. Yeah, that's from sitting outside the garden. I'm very lucky. Sorry, uh, working very hard. Yeah, absolutely. And doing some research. Obviously. Yes. <laughs> research into tans, perhaps. <laughs> but first... Christy, it's your birthday. God bless you this day. You gave us the gift of a foxy sister and we're proud of you today. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear sunshine. Happy birthday to you. Uh, We're not even a week late, I don't think, actually. But happy birthday. Do you feel different being, uh, you know, that age? I, no, actually. <laughs> no, I feel exactly the same. Get asked that with every sort of birthday when you're a child. You feel yeah. different today, do you? Yeah. Do you? I, you know, when I hit 40, it's quite funny. I keep telling people over and over again, you know, because I'm 41 now. I don't know why I keep saying it. For we some had this reason. discussion briefly last week on the show, actually, because I was saying at the time, I said the thing that's always infuriated me why people see the need to put a number after themselves because you're not the number you're the person so, so you're saying that... i'm infuriating yes you're probably not alone now i think i'm infuriating to oh lots of we've people. missed but you we, we, well we have only just started to celebrate your birthday today obviously because we're a full team together it's not because Yay. we want you to get more and more attention because it is going on way too long now it's even nearly longer than your 40 i know i know for. i'm not oh. happy but i have just heard jamie say because you obviously had a video done by all your friends yeah, which is where that's come just from heard joe and lou singing and uncle bernie singing oh and i did just hear our guest which will be revealed in a minute and um, just say oh sorry i was asked to do that but i forgot <laughs> <laughs> oh, classic not talking to him ever again no well we should say at this point that um we did tell you that our guest today was rather radio shy and reclusive and didn't like telling stories so christy has spent the whole morning in such a foul mood it's been hilarious searching, i've really enjoyed myself i have spent the morning searching the internet for as many backup stories as possible thinking we were not going to be able to get a peep out of our studio again but actually I don't think we'll have any trouble whatsoever my my favourite moment was when Joe texted to say oh sorry I can't do today just can't do it. That I was, was furious, but I, I tried to be. I tried to be very diplomatic and say because she said she had a headache, so she wasn't coming, wasn't going to be able to do the show. And I said, "Okay, that's fine. Just." Get better, <laughs> I think um, was my response. We have put some banners up around the studio. I um, should apologise about the one that says birthday boy, which I didn't even realise when I stuck favorite. it up. That's my favourite. Right next to you. Um, but uh, you mentioned Jamie Joe, and to help us celebrate Chrissy's birthday, we are joined by a man who um, based his career on a fortune cookie. Um, Jamie Lewis now heads up Bath and Bottle. Jamie, really? That's pretty much true, yeah. Okay. Um, and what did the fortune cookie say? Uh, the fortune cookie said to do what you love and fortune would follow. But you did know from a very early age that you wanted to work mm. in the food and drink industry, didn't you? Yeah, that's right, yeah. Um, there was a lot of inspiration growing up. Uh, my family, none particularly the best cooks. My auntie was a trained chef. She was great. Um, my granddad kind of taught me just to enjoy food, like to, to do, you know, be fun with it. And yeah, I don't know. I remember, I remember watching Jamie Oliver. I read something the other day that said it was 17 years ago that... The Naked Chef started on there. Uh, wow, 17 yeah, years. Yeah, and I was 10, and I remember watching it and thinking, oh, he's cool, like, this is what I should do. How then did you end up in the House of Commons? <clears throat> <laughs> God, you have read that, haven't you? Um, yeah, I, I studied politics at uni and, um, you know, thought, oh, I'll go and do parliament. wanted to be a parliamentary researcher. I enjoyed research. And... Um, yeah, I, was, I had a sit lucky enough to get a six six week internship, and I'd left after a week just because it was so dull. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
it's good to you know try things out and, yeah. and see it's not for you. Uh, my favourite nugget of information that you put um, in the info that you sent to us was that your claim to fame is that you served Usain Bolt his 60 pre-race chicken nuggets before he smashed the 200 metre record at the Beijing Olympics. Great pun there, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> I didn't even highlight that one. It just spoke for itself. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. Yeah. 60 nuggets. 60, 60 nuggets pre-race and post-race, apparently. I read afterwards and I was kind of serving him like, I'm going to see you race tonight. What? What? Yeah. No. Was it like, is this a thing that he does every time he goes out? Is Apparently it like so. a, what they call like a tradition before yeah. he goes out to race? 60 like, nuggets. Do you think he runs so fast because he needs the toilet after? <laughs> Maybe. No, it's the flight of the bird that he's ingesting to boost his speed. But why, why, how are you doing this, Jamie? Were you just working in a, a chicken shop or something? <laughs> I, um, I worked for McDonald's for five years um, as a manager for them just while I was yeah, straight from school or during school. Um, and yeah, just applied for the opportunity and it, it came about, which I absolutely no did did not think that it would happen. But yeah, that was great. I was there for the whole whole of the Olympic Games. But no one believed me about the Usain Bolt story. I think he was on Top Gear like afterwards and he said he said that he had sixty nuggets pre race and uh Yeah. And it was you? And that was for the two hundred meter win, yeah. Right, I know what I'm gonna do before the parents race at the next sports day. <laughs> oh yeah. Do you know what is it one. like being the around three women that are just chatting? Quite boxes. overwhelming. <laughs> you can't get a word in, can you? No. He's normally so in control in the bar and it's just nah, we've, we've beaten him. Uh, Andy, so on Facebook says, uh, Game of Thrones is a masterpiece from crazy landscapes to the best costumes ever. But still the most breathtaking moments for me are the simple conversations that occur every so often. The king and queen in the first series spring to mind you have to experience it all for these conversations to be as powerful as they are it's the perfect antidote to hollywood and it's predictable lowbrow regurgitated nonsense i think he's saying that about hollywood as opposed to about game of thrones i told you it's just like women today <laughs> don't say things like that is that the text that are gonna come in now oh dear it's a good point that though isn't it jamie the dialogue is apparently brilliant in it yeah that's what i was saying about just character driven that's the you know there is there's something for everyone you can just watch it as visually quite stunning or if you get into the characters you can kind of and then they killed off anyway so you can did you know it's um it's based on the war of the roses did you know well it's based on a a, a series of books isn't it more than anything that were written by yeah all right well i was hoping that made me look intelligent (laughs) but somebody texted that in so if that's not right that wasn't my fault do you know what i would say it sounds a bit sort of shakespearean but from what everyone's saying, it sounds yeah. very like if you think of Macbeth and Titus Andronicus and things like that. Yeah. It, it sounds like I know about these things. I, I just know that Shakespeare's a bit gruesome sometimes. Don't think so. there's dragons in Shakespeare. Like even maybe I know that. Got okay. fairies and things in Shakespeare, though, right? Yeah. True. Yeah. Oh dear me. I tried to sound vaguely intelligent. <laughs> <laughs> It failed. Uh, 19 minutes to three. We are joined live in the studio by the man who served Usain Bolt his 60 pre-race nuggets. That's all I'm ever going to think, Jamie Lewis, whenever I see you now. Um, that was uh, before the runner smashed the 200-metre record at the Beijing Olympics. Um, interestingly, you also worked as a bellhop, and apparently that is the correct term, a bellhop for Disney in the Animal Kingdom Lodge Hotel for a summer season. I did. And what exactly did that involve? Carrying bags to rooms. That was great. <laughs> Were you dressed up like the guy in Grand Budapest Hotel? No, he had like a little safari outfit. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, are there any photos of that? There will be somewhere. We'll find one. Oh, I'll have to dig one out. So just tell us, um, the Animal Kingdom, it's quite a a different experience. You've got all loads of animals around you. Yeah, it's incredible. I I don't know. I'd I'd never been to Disney as a kid, so I still got that kind of driving in and seeing the castle as like a 20-year-old, you know, getting all excited. Um, but yeah, the, the hotel's like nothing you've ever kind of uh, seen. There's just animals roaming around outside the bedrooms. It's really cool. You know, when I've been to that hotel, it is so cool. But you know, when you had the interview at Disney, did you just have to have that plastic smile? Hi. <laughs> and then you got the job. <clears throat> Pretty much. Yeah. You just have to be happy all the time. I it's think it's so the rigorous you know? place in the world. You know, if you want to be a, a character, like to, to dress up, or, yeah, that you, um, you have to be within like a certain height. You have to learn to write like the... I could do Mickey Mouse's autograph. Oh, can was, you? I can, yeah. Did you meet Mickey Mouse? Yes. He's you... my boss. <laughs> Mickey, <laughs> Mouse Mickey Mouse was my boss. Brilliant. Did you get a reference from him? Oh, please tell me you did. Yeah, yeah. They, they, oh. they do like, when you ask for an official one, they send it out with like a kind of, you know, from, from the mouse. Oh, my god. And goodness. they call him the mouse. 
The mouse. Yeah. He's dumb mouse. Yeah. Sounds like the Don or something, doesn't it? I understand. I mean, I've never actually been to Disney, but the, the Disney look after their employees really, really oh, well. But they also work very hard to ensure that the members of the public don't see any of the backstage yeah. stuff. I mean, how <clears throat> tricky is that being an employee in that sort of environment? It's they make it really easy for you. Like for instance, I don't know if I'm even allowed to say this. The the ground floor, the like the Magic Kingdom, the main parts actually on top of like a six story building, and you ev- all the staff enter from behind, and you kind of like there's tunnels underneath that you you know you can move around because you didn't want anyone to see someone from like the wild west area in like the space area so they built all these tunnels underneath and it's 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 so bizarre and you kind of pop up and you're like oh wow didn't they so the resorts um really are best known for their attention to detail for the customer experience what do you take from that as somebody who now uh, heads up an establishment of your own it, do you know what that experience was probably the most valuable I've had they there was absolutely no expense spared like they would do absolutely anything to ensure whether the guest was right or wrong they would just make them leave with a smile on their face i remember um someone's luggage getting wet like being left outside and they just said right here's the company card like take them to the gift shop let them buy whatever they want i think these people were like really modest and i was like and i was throwing in like toys for the kid and everything being no no no, it's fine like they've said i can spend whatever i want on you gave them like massages in like the spa for the parents it was yeah Wow. Ooh, they, they, they really go from getting that, all the secrets away now. Is that what happens now when you go to uh, maybe Bath and Bottle on Friday? You're not particularly happy with the service now? No? Yeah, there's, that... there's this one customer, Joe Pack. She's like, <laughs> she abuses that all the time. Her, uh... um, last question about Disney. Obviously, Americans are very known for their tipping. Did you get some really good tips? Yeah, they, they hated the British people. Like, they really, like, they were always like, they never tip, they never tip. So, like, I don't know, I kind of come back and make sure and tell everyone now. But they're like, they really worried when they had an English guest coming through. But um, I don't know, like, I always did all right from it. I, I just chatted. They, they like an English accent, don't they? Hmm. Saying that, actually, I didn't put this in my notes, but I served, um, what? Uh, what's her name? Carrie from Sex <gasps> in the City. Yeah, yeah. And Ma- but I was more impressed because Matthew Broderick was there as well. So I'm like, oh my God, this is Ferris Bueller. Oh, Sarah That's Jessica Parker. Yeah. Yeah, Ferris sorry. Bueller? Oh, yeah. did exactly. they have their children with them? They've got the- <laughs> they had the kids with them, oh. yeah. Oh, that's it. I'm done. I, can't believe, I cannot believe he mentioned Usain Bolt and not Ferris Bueller. I mean, forget <laughs> Sarah Jessica Parker, but yeah, he is a legend. It. Right. Yeah. Uh, so then you did that. You did that for a summer. How did you end up over here, first of all, doing what you're doing? Um, I came over to work just for the summer down at 14 North. Um, my um, my fiance has family over here, so I kind of was invited over to come and to, to just help out for the summer, really. Um, I was offered a job afterwards to come back as a training manager for them then it was that point in life I think my I'd been offered a job with Marriott on like a graduate scheme and I was just I don't know I'm more about the independent side of things and um yeah just fell in love with the place fell in love with the island um it's just such a so much that can still I think be achieved within the food and drink industry I mean even since I got here five years ago the it's the landscape's completely changed I think there's places like Noah um, doing the the food assembly, um, people really need to get involved in that. I think really really need to embrace that. I cooked a roast, what day Monday yesterday. Um, used chicken that I'd got from a butcher up north. Um, veg from Bryrad. Um, it was great. It's really good, and it's just nice to to know that you've eaten that. But how can you get the public to buy into that that local produce idea more so? Because I mean, you truly believe that's what we need to be doing. I think. I think people should just be proud. I think they should be proud that that these people are doing. There are a lot of people doing great things. I think we need. I don't know. I, I'm, the town I'm from, Chesterfield, is one of the world's oldest market towns, and I found it really, really bizarre that on an island that is so proud of everything it it produces, that there isn't a market. And there's the market hall down on the quay. That's just. It's. I think. I think the college is using it at the minute. And um, I think there's a little movement to try and get something going in there from from a couple of ladies. But um, yeah, I think we really need to embrace it. We need to just you know all these local suppliers you think the government <clears throat> needs to be thinking more about food and drink yeah how i think again this is something that's changed i remember the first food and drink festival i went to over here um which was five years ago i mean they had like ainsley harriet coming over you know doing doing his thing but i wanted to go and get something to eat and i went and there was one tent there it was just like a burger van and i was like it's a food and drink festival about the island's food and drink and it just wasn't possible and i think i don't know maybe they heard me say that but they've the, the one last the last couple of years have been great they have got 
um, people on board. And I think it's something they are proactive in trying to achieve. I just, and maybe I'm just being impatient. I think we should uh, just really need to go for it. Um, you were talking about how the landscape over here had changed even in the five years since you've been over here. And it's interesting. I walked past a restaurant in Douglas at 7.30 yesterday evening. And, you know, it was heaving. So this is no longer just a, a Friday, Saturday night pursuit, despite people nowadays maybe not having very much money. How sophisticated compared to where else uh, you've been and you've worked would you say the Manx audience is now? That's a good question. I think... I think that exactly that. I think that people do need to not necessarily be educated, but you need to have these things on your doorstep so that you you know good food and you, you've tried it. And I, I think probably the five years ago I did come, there were only a handful of restaurants that you you could enjoy. And I think that's the feedback you get from customers that there are these things going on. What I find really strange at the minute is you've got um, Starbucks just opening. You've got Noah just starting to roast their own coffee. So whereas in the UK, they kind of had the the chain thing going on and then the independence independence have kind of risen up these are kind of happening side by side and i find it really bizarre like how excited people are by a big american chain again for for an island that is so proud of its independence and so proud of what it can grow and achieve here do you think the island is kind of because i i see people like yourself and noah and you know rock food concepts itself almost taking the Isle of Man like a, a sort of test bed because you're always sort of trying new things and is that there might be things like you say that have already been tried in different cities like if you go around you know sort of Brighton or go to Ireland go around Galway places like that they may already be doing this but is it an exciting place to be because you can test things it's, out it's great it's a it's a complete and utter blank canvas and I think you know we, we do the we do these pop-ups every bank holiday um more because it's an extra day people have got the day off they want to go and do something so we try and bring something that that people, that's not just Bath and Bottle. Again, I don't want that. People can become complacent. You can go to different cities in the UK. You can, you know, you can go for a night out in Liverpool, and it's really easy to go and do that and have something different. But it's nice to kind of bring that buzz on, particularly on bank holidays. Right, I have come up to Laxey today, especially to the Fairy Cottage filling station to speak to Ruby. Hi, Ruby. Hello. Thanks for talking to us today. Thanks for taking time because you never stop working, do you? No. <laughs> well, how many hours is this place open? Um, eight o'clock in the morning till six o'clock in the evening. Tell us how long have you been here for? Fifty years. Fifty years this month. Do you remember the, the opening day? Yes, sixth of April, nineteen sixty-six. Oh, look! Look, we've got we've got customers turning up now. Castletown Fuels are these regulars. Come with the coal. Do you need to do your stuff now, Ruby? I need to get, open the door for him in the <laughs> garage. Come and say hello. Did you know she'd been here for 50 years? Yeah, no, I read in the paper. <laughs> <laughs> Just introduce yourself for me. I'm Ian the Coleman. What is it about this place, do you think, that keeps it running? Uh, the friendly atmosphere, you know, typical small, small but comfortable, you know what I mean? Yeah, so it keeps it going, yeah. Keeps it on its toes. Uh, just tell us a little bit about what you're doing here today. Uh, delivering pre-packed coal, and, and uh, we do smokeless fuel here as well, so yeah. Well, I'll let you get on and do your job then. Okay. Thanks for saying hello. Yeah, <laughs> Ruby's just running off to deal with the coal man. I want to put um, four in the bunker and then the rest in the garage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What is it you love about it? Just enjoy doing this and meeting people. Yeah, and yeah. the cottage is next door. Is, is that your residence, is it? No, this is my residence here. You actually live at the petrol station? Yes, for 50 years, yes. Was it a really busy place when you first opened? Yes, it was busier then than what it is now. Because you open almost every day of the year, aren't you? Yes, except Christmas Day. Who's this, Ruby, who's just turned up now? Richard Henthorn. Is this a regular? He is, yes. <laughs> How often does Richard come along? Oh, about every week. <laughs> uh, my name's Richard Henthorn. I run the laundry at Laxey and a Laxey resident. And how often do you come and visit Ruby? Uh, well, um... <laughs> about once a fortnight from a car, but also we have our, uh, our company vans here and we come up about once a week at least, or sometimes if not more, Ruby, and have been doing since we started back in 2003. And then before that, I was coming up to get fuel when we used to, we used to do petrol here uh, since I moved into the village in uh, 94. So, yeah, a long time really, to be honest. And Ruby's always been here 
and always been smiling. You can't get a better weather report <laughs> other than the one you get off Ruby. If you want to know what the weather's going to be like in Laxey, come and ask Ruby, she'll tell you what it's like. Go on then, give us an idea. What's it going to be like tomorrow, Ruby? Showery. <laughs> <laughs> She'll be right as well. <laughs> she's, she's out here in all weathers as well, isn't she? Yeah, she is. Uh, we, we, when you go past in the morning, she's here, the place has opened up. When you go past last thing at night, the place has uh, opened up as well. And uh, there has been the odd occasion where I've run into a bit of trouble and she's been closed and still sorted me out. So you kind of ask for better than that. Uh, really, uh, I'm delighted to support her for so long and it's a great service you've given for so many years. <laughs> What is it you love about Laxey? Just like the scenery. <laughs> it's lovely. But you can't, presumably, don't have very much time to enjoy it. No, every time you go outside serve a customer, you look over the sea. <laughs> do you do much of the sort of lifting and carrying and things yourself? No, just filling the oil drums up. It's a mucky job for a woman, isn't it? No, I don't mind. <laughs> I don't mind getting my hands dirty. <laughs> smelly. So if you weren't doing this, is there anything else you'd like to be doing? Not at the moment, no. No regrets, no. As well as the fuel they do at the, at the station, they also supply heating oil for your boiler. And without uh, Andrew, um, I'd have been stuck uh, since the bridge went uh, in Laxey uh, in December. The, we haven't been able to get fuel up our hill uh, to where, wherever else we live. And so Andrew came up with 20 litre containers in his van, loads and loads of 20 litre containers, and filled my fuel tank up. Um, you know, by hand. We would have been stuck for Christmas heating without uh, without Andrew or without Ferry Cottage Filling Station. Do you mind me asking what you've come here for today? I've come for some bricks for the stove. The, for the wood burner, it's kept us warm all winter. Oh, lovely. But we do have the car, we do have a diesel car as well, and my husband does an account, which is absolutely fantastic because he doesn't need any money on him. He just comes in, Ruby fills him up, and then I come once a month to settle his bill. <laughs> I thought it's how most men like to shop, especially when they have, you know, no hassle, and it's just wonderful. And she's always here. <laughs> I don't think she ever has a day off. With a smile. With a smile, definitely. <laughs> when did you last have a holiday, Ruby? 14 years ago. <gasps> where, where was it? Where did you go? I went on a cruise. I bet you just wanted to come home and do the filling station, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This is regular. Twenty pound. Twenty pound. You know, she knows it. See already. <laughs> do you know exactly what everybody wants. Mostly, yeah. <laughs> so, you, how often do you come here? Every week. Yeah. Every week. Why? Why do you keep coming back here then? Because she is, does it. Provides a great service, and she's an independent retailer, so she's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think it makes a difference to the community having someone like Ruby? It definitely does. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, it's all over Facebook about her. <laughs> yeah, she's a little local celebrity. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, she's just, she's just this, I don't know, stalwart in the community and uh, she's run this station all these years. I can't, you know, I, I, I still find it hard to comprehend because all weathers, in and out, sometimes she gets five coats wet in a day and yet every morning she's open and sometimes if people are really struggling and they see that her car's parked outside and they knock on the door, she'll open up. I know, it's probably a dying breed. A lot of people say, well, she's stupid to do it, but it's her life and she wants to do it. She is a community of person, you know, she wants to, and that's what she wants to meet people. Well done. Well done, yes. Thank you. Thank you, darling. Thanks a lot. Thank Bye. you. Thank Bye. you. Bye. You know, it, it's just that in days gone by, you know, women heard their birth stories in the context of an extended family. Yeah. You know, great-grandmothers would speak with grandmothers, with mothers, and whether the births were so-called positive or negative, it was all communicated in the context of family settings. And, you know, by and large, the, the emphasis would be on kind of loving communications. You know, now people get their birth stories from a program that's fundamentally entertainment. And I'm, I'm kind of setting up a frame of reference that says, watch it, you know, by all means. But remember, your experience will be your own. Yeah, that's a really good point, I think. And I, I've, I've got to admit, because I don't have kids, but I cannot imagine anything worse than watching that programme if I was about to have a child. Well, I tell you, I tell you what, in the UK, uh, we've got rising levels of tocophobia. And tocophobia is a, 
phobic response to birth. So it's not anxiety, it's a, it's a phobic response to birth. But we've got rising levels of primary tocophobia. So that means we've got women who have never had a birth experience before experiencing fear of birth. The kind of programmes like One Born Every Minute probably bear some responsibility for that. But you, you actually started out as a builder, though, didn't you? Well, it depends on what, which article you read. I, I, I actually worked in a builder's merchants. But, so, but how did you go from that, though, even so, from building merchants into birthing babies? Well, I'll tell you what happened. I got kicked out of school for being disruptive. It was only sport that kept me at school. I, I got to the point where I was enjoying my life, but I, I was wondering, an existential crisis, if you like, what, what's it all about? You know, I'm going to die one day. What's it all about? And that led me to consider nursing. And my best buddy, who I trained with as a nurse, became the first male midwife in Warwickshire. And he said to me, look, being a midwife has got nothing to do with gender. The word itself is a verb. It means to be with woman. It's who you're being when you're with woman. I kind of took that on board and got hooked. And at the time, there was only 61 of us out of 36,000 midwives. What kind of reactions were you getting back then, then? Because there must, it, obviously, you would be quite a, a rare appearance in a, in a birthing And I was then. big. I mean, you know, shaved head, goatee beard, 26 stone plus. So, you know, the old joke is I walk in the room and the woman says, I called the midwife, not security. And I, and I say, I am the midwife. And she goes, security? Um, <laughs> I, I would always make sure a woman in principle was comfortable with a man being there. And then after I'd met her and her partner, I, after about 20 minutes, I'd say, look, I'd really love to be involved with the birth of your family. It would be a real privilege. But if you feel any discomfort at me being here, I won't take it personally. And I think that kind of method of introducing yourself led to me having fabulous experiences. You know, people I'm still in contact with now. Um, you know, over 15, 16, 17 years after their baby's been born. What a completely different experience you have in following a person growing up, having actually seen that exact moment they came into the world. Oh, it's spectacular. I, I remember I was outside a leisure centre the other day because I still live in the area, and I, a woman walked past me with this 16-year-old boy, and she said, you're Mark Harris, aren't you? I said, yeah, I am, yeah. Have you seen me on this morning? I was on this morning last week. But anyway, she said, no, you're my midwife. And she points to her, her, her son and she says to him, he was the one that, that brought you into the world. And I said, well, actually, I was just there. It was all you. Oh, lovely. <laughs> so it is lovely. No, it is lovely. Now, you mentioned talking to partners as well. How do you find that um, men in particular react to you being, you know, at the business end of their wives or partners? Yeah, no, it's a good point. I, I have never, never had an issue with a man. And I think it's because I was very, and very, very sensitive around, you know, what is effectively very intimate care and very deferential to a woman's choice and, and, and just very tuned into how the man seems to be responding in that moment. I think when my wife died uh, eight years ago, it kind of led me to think, what kind of contribution can I make to the birth world that's unique? And that's when I started birthing for blokes. So I, I, I fundamentally now run a program that supports men and same-sex partners, but mainly men as they support their partners through pregnancy and birth. I wrote a book, Men, Love and Birth, and uh, based on the program, really. I love the fact that it's got this sort of alternative title of the Lads Birthing Bible as well, which is, which is great. And what do you find are the most frequently asked questions? What, what do guys want to know? Over the, the 20 odd years, I've heard men say they felt powerless, they felt left out, they felt like at the time they wanted to offer support, they didn't know what to do. So the minute she's afraid or the minute she's uh, worrying about him or the, you know, the minute she's having to engage with questions hormones are released in her body that inhibits oxytocin and it's oxytocin in a woman that's responsible for her feeling good but it's also responsible for keeping the birthing process going really well so I always say to the groups that, that I run look are you in a felt sense of connection with her do you get a sense that she knows you're there just for her because when you're doing that you're doing all that's necessary it's the only thing that needs fixing Oh, until, of course, the woman starts screaming, get him out of here. <laughs> and that happens. That happens when a, when a woman loses herself to that 
to the process of birth, there's an inhibition that comes that leads to all kinds of behaviours that a man isn't used to seeing. Often there's a lot of choice language. There's, uh, <laughs> there's a lot of truth-telling that comes out in that moment because uh, her inhibitions seem to be swept aside. So um, I'm intrigued to know, I mean, you mentioned, obviously, that you have children yourself. Did you yeah. let someone else take over the control then in the birth of your kids, I take it? My two oldest sons were born at home and with the birth of Joe, he came out a little bit slow to respond, which is not uncommon. But I do remember being lost uh, in that moment, you know, to my own amygdala response and having to be told by one of my friends who was the midwife there to get a grip. So, <laughs> in fact, she slapped me. She said, Mark, stand down, slap. <laughs> Do you know what? Sometimes that's just needed. <laughs> so have you got any idea then how many, how many human beings you've brought into the world? In the high hundreds. And it never grows old. I know it sounds cheesy, but there is nothing like that moment when... when the baby's head crowns, as we say, and, and you know the baby's about to be born. It's awesome. Yeah, it never grows old. But when my wife died, you know, I, I've been married for 20-odd years and I, I never want, wanted to be with another woman and I'm lucky enough to be in a, a great relationship again. But when she died in my arms at home in the same room that my boys were born in, I knew that life wasn't going to turn out how it should. It was turning out how it does. And... This is it. You know, the moment I'm in with you is is it. And it sent me on a bit of a journey to rediscover those times in my life where I felt totally connected to others and to humanity. And being at birth is like nothing else. Teaching comes close, actually, when people have breakthroughs in learning. But birth, for me, there is nothing like it. Um, they're all top awards. I mean, you know me well, Christy. Um, I'm not particularly great at taking praise um, whether it's a police thing it's amazing every award and every recognition was the top in my eyes um, it was good to be included with a group of really great people that I work with uh, but more importantly to get away from talking about me it was the public the public got recognised yesterday for some amazing things that they did in their day to day life we get paid for what we do um, the public sometimes come across things and they have to make those spur-of-the-moment decisions to, to help out, to do something extraordinary. So they were the real humbling ones yesterday that I was pleased to be part of. It, it, how important is that to the police to know that the public are there and ready to actually take part in, in incidents, to help out where, where necessary? It's massive these days. I mean, you've heard all the news about our numbers are dwindling and, and it's all about financial and costs and, and trying to be as, as slick as we can with fewer numbers. Um, we're recruiting more and we're getting more bobbies on the street. It's what we need. But we need the public because we can't be everywhere. So we need the eyes and ears. And sometimes we do need them to jump in and help us with people. And what I love and probably what makes my job easier is that the public are always willing to do that. We've, we've built up a good relationship. I mean, it's what we say, we're the public and, and they help us out. It's brilliant. Now, I love what you're saying at the top of the, the interview here, just saying how, you know, you're not one for, for boasting. And I think that seems to be a general theme amongst the police, isn't it? Because I know when we've tried to speak to police before about some of the incredible things they have done, because they are incredible, some of the stuff that you guys have done, especially over yeah. the last year. There seems to be a lot of dramatic incidents over here. But yeah. it, the, the general theme seems to be, well, it was just another day in the office. <laughs> it is. It's it's a little bit of a police thing because at, at the end of the day, and, and, it, and it's right, this is the job that we choose to do. No one is forced into it, and it's a job we choose to do, and we're paid to do. So we kind of just deal with it, and we go to the horrible things. They're done. They're dusted, and we go on to the next one. So yesterday was a lovely, wonderful opportunity for me to share in some successes with my colleagues and my family. And then it was straight back, put my uniform on and, and back on to a PM shift. We're talking this afternoon about how parents can support their children through exam time. Around 1,800 students will sit A-levels and GCSEs in more than 40 subjects from next Tuesday. Others will be sitting their international baccalaureate exams. And our studio guest is Joel Smith, who's a secondary school advisor with the Department of Education and Children. So, Joel, then, when it comes to, to how you support your children, um, what is it that parents need to be doing? I think showing an awareness in, in the exam period would be a start, um, knowing what, what exams um, their young people have at what time uh, in a kind of a schedule, and that schedule would be up somewhere in the house. Um, but also um, being able to uh, cook them a special tea, perhaps if they've worked particularly hard, or um, provide them with a bit of um, support and guidance with regards to how they're feeling would be really helpful. Um, 
you know, telling them that they need to have a break as well as as, as get their head in the books. Um, and it, it usually is, and not always, but a really nice time of the year weather-wise. So it's uh, trying to maintain their focus while perhaps some of their peers are out and about um, rather than um, doing what they need to do for their exams, which are obviously very imminent. It wouldn't have been much of a problem revising this week, I imagine, no, with no, the uh, snowstorms <laughs> and whatever. But that revision schedule is quite an important yeah. thing, isn't it? Because I think there may be a tendency to sort of hammer that home and be quite strict about it. Yeah. And you're saying, actually, you know, you need to think about giving them that break. They've got to build in breaks. I mean, they're going to be on social media anyway. And actually, you know, there's a lot of great apps out there now for young people, to, which will help them revise. Um, and I think... If they get the balance right between um, revising, some of them don't really know how to revise, and that's certainly the job of the schools um, to give them guidance on uh, memorising strategies and um, how they should display their notes uh, around their room or around their workspace. Um, most schools now are really good at um, being able to condense information into a form which they can easily memorise, and um, hopefully... Um, the students that I've seen recently that are embarking on the exam period are very well prepared. What are the signs then as a parent or guardian that you should be looking out for to that sort of give you an indication that the stress is getting a little bit too much maybe? Yeah, I was, I was speaking to Joe earlier and I said, you know, if they're particularly closed off and, and Joe said, well, you know, that's teenagers for you. They are they are by nature closed off uh, a lot of the time. But if, if they're acting very much out of character, um, if they're showing signs of... Um, stress if they're snappy uh, again teenager traits um, but in particular uh, if they um, want to be left alone or if they're maybe not doing as much as maybe you think is necessary uh, there's going to be something uh, underlying that a lot of them talk to their peers a lot and they, they worry about how much or how little their peers are doing because they're being told you know oh, don't do too much for that exam or you know you better get your head down for this one so there's so many mixed messages out there that they're getting um, and um, just a bit of uh, strong parental guidance is uh, certainly going to be worthwhile. And what about parents sort of getting support? Is it a good idea, for example, to go and speak to the teachers and, and, and find yeah, out? Yeah, we used to hold a, an evening, actually, when I worked uh, over in England um, for parents, actually, um, invited in to go through revision techniques with their with their young people, and it was a really beneficial evening. We didn't get the attendance that we hoped. You know, some parents w weren't perhaps as, uh, as interested as others, but the ones that did come... I think then played a pretty active role in their young people's education. Do you know, I've never been offered that. And that's yeah. a really interesting point because I have so many arguments with my daughter about revision and mm. she has one way of doing it. And, you know, one of the ways now is always to listen to music while you're revising. And, mm. you know, that wasn't something that we used to do at mm. all. So I'm having to get with the times, mum, yeah. you know, and uh, I've never been taught what is the right technique. Well, it's, I, again, I, I would minimise distractions. You know, uh, so many young people now eat their dinner whilst watching telly and, and tweeting or, or putting something on Facebook. And uh, I think they're just used to that, that, that way of, of living. Uh, and actually when, when revising and when, um, when looking at notes and when um, in that zone, I think minimal distractions would be best. But, you know, build in breaks where you can go and watch Hollyoaks or something like that, you know. Um, build in the breaks and uh, hopefully you won't be bombarded by it all. Do you know, I watched Hollyoaks for the first time in ages last week. Wish I hadn't bothered. Life lessons, isn't it? A bit like Geordie Shore, apparently. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, but in terms of, of this stress then, I mean, is there a, a tendency for, for boys to be better at revision, for girls to be better at revision? What, what do you I know about that? I would say the girls certainly have the better revision notes. Um, and that is, um, they're, they're vibrant, um, they're colourful uh, in many ways. And, you know, I'm not being in any way derogatory when, when, I, when I say that. Um, boys' notes tend to be a little bit more uh, scrawly and, and less organised, but that's that's me making generalisations. But that's from a career trying to help boys um, do the right thing uh, and um, get it all in there. That's so funny because all of Molly's revision cards are full of writing, beautiful yeah. colours and everything. And I'm thinking, you're writing so much, but are you learning? Yeah, exactly. And, and that and that is a danger actually that they're they're constantly just regurgitating things. And are they actually? Is it going in? It, it, have they got the learning skills and the learning power to actually you know, remember it? Um, and it's actually the, the exam system is still very much about knowledge. And, uh, yeah. and what about on the day then, Joel? How do you sort of prepare your child for going in for the exam, but also sort of making the point that it's OK if it doesn't go to plan? Yeah, I think making sure they have a decent breakfast is a good start. Um, you know, health, uh, you know, food for thought almost. And uh, making sure that... Um, you're there for a supporting hug, however it goes, really. And that's uh, all you can do as a parent, I think. Women Today, sponsored by City Wing.
for business trips or family breaks. Fly with CityWing.com. 18 minutes to three. This is Women Today with me, Joe Pack, and Christy Dehaven. We've also been joined in the studio by the wonderfully named, I'm going to say it right, Isle of Women trio. Woman. Yes. (laughs) Uh, I was going to say that, but then I thought I'd just let her have it. I know, you know, that's the thing. I I was just going to have my moment. I even boomed in the air and I even got that wrong, didn't I? (laughs) Women. Catherine, Teresa and Amanda performing for us this evening at the Gaiety. So Catherine, what's actually in store for us? It's a very fun evening. It's fun for us. And we, um, what we do is we make it different every time that we go on. So what the uh, setup is of the evening is that we are creating an island that women would like to live on, basically. So that's why it's called the Isle of Women. And we decide whether or not certain things want to come with us or we actually just want to ditch them and never have them again. So, for example, things like high heels, which can be a, a hot topic. You know, do we actually want to take them with us or do we just want to say, no, we're not having any of those at all? What is the general consensus of that? Well, normally? so far, normally, no. Yeah, they, they go. Which yeah. Is, yeah. yeah. Although it was close, wasn't it, last time? It I was think we close. Brecon, and it was a pretty close mm. call. We've thought for the first time that perhaps we'd actually have to dance in our heels for the rest of the evening. <laughs> so you do actually, when they say something has to go, you actually oh, yeah, get rid of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah. Goes. Wow. Okay. Oh, hang on a minute. Are we talking clothing and stuff? Yeah. Start? Uh, no, we're not no, going to no, 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 strip. There is no just new That's a different show. show. <laughs> <laughs> just chatting. But it's very interactive, isn't it? And the audience do get involved. Yes, absolutely. And that, that's the beauty of that. And it means that it can go either way. So we have to be thinking on our feet all the time through the evening. And, and we and we have it. It's fresh. It's fresh every night for us. So it's it's really good fun. Really good and fun. music wise, there's a lot of singing, Teresa. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. We, Catherine and I wrote uh, all, all the music for the show. Um, and yeah, it's there are some upbeat and funny and some, some poignant and slow. I mean, there's a good mix, good variation in there. So yeah. How long did it take to put together? Oh, oh, good question. <laughs> um, we were writing probably for about six months, weren't yeah, we, in total, yeah. from start to finish. Yeah. Is that like in so, a quiet, darkened room with no disturbances? Uh, I wish. If only life was like that, you could put yourself away, though. <laughs> so six months. What was the feeling like when you first performed the play, Amanda? Um, oh, uh, well, I was really fortunate. I kind of came in at the middle of the run, but when I read it, I just thought this is, it's great. It's really intelligent. It's very funny. It's very current. And I love that idea of, as an actress, having to think on my feet during a performance, because you rarely get that really. You normally get a script and that's it. So it's kind of that, that really appealed to me. Um, It's great. It's just, it's lovely to do a show with two other women and it be about women, Mm. which is really rare. So I have to ask, are you true feminists, Teresa, would you say? Absolutely, yeah, no, for sure. Um, I, I absolutely uh, believe that um, equality is right and, and that is really what feminism is. I was just going to say, Catherine, what do you believe to be yeah. a feminist is all about? Yeah, well, exactly that, just that it's equality. And I think sometimes um, the connotation now that's associated with feminism can be a little bit negative and perhaps go a little bit too far and look like it's extreme. But actually, in reality, feminism, for me, is, is just equality. And... Coming together, do you all get nerves before the show, before you get on stage? What's it like just getting up on stage? Yeah, it is. I don't think you ever lose, even after however many years in the business. Yeah. You, you still, it's, it's still that. It's, and it's mainly adrenaline, isn't it? Which is a good yeah, thing. It's, so it's adrenaline yeah. and nerves. So you do, you feel a bit heightened. Yeah, it would be a concern, I think, if you had nothing yeah. before you went on. No, because yeah. then you lose the excitement altogether and you need to have that energy, I suppose, to push yourself through it. It's it's quite um, it's quite a big job for the three of us. We're on stage it's a lot. much all the time. Yeah. And so, yeah. And this is going around the UK. Yeah, yes, it has done, yeah. yeah. So how many shows in total are you doing? Um, well, actually, this is its first time out. So we're sort of, we've been testing the product a little bit. So I think it's eight, ten, mm-hmm. eight, mm-hmm. eight, eight this time. So we're nearly at the end of this run of eight, and then it's going to go out again later in the year. Well, so. I can't think of a better place to come to, the Isle of Man. We're now no, changing it to the Isle of Woman, aren't <laughs> yes, we? Yes, aren't we? Yeah. So you all play a different part, don't you? Do you really believe in the part that you're playing, Amanda? Uh-huh. Well, yes. I mean, it's quite different to any part that I've played before. Um, I'm playing the traditionalist and that's yeah but that for, for as an actress it's great to have a challenge um so yeah I mean I kind of jumped at it really I like to it's nice to do something completely different in terms of character when you say traditionalist though we have so many different viewpoints ah, on that now tell me what you feel yes. that that would be well somebody who is um all for traditional values and 
kind of is the least feminist in the in the play, but is a feminist in her own right, I think. Um, but is very kind of, yeah, kind of believes in the traditional values of a man and a woman and the roles that they play within a kind of family. And is that true for you? Um, not necessarily, <laughs> no. But that's what acting is. <laughs> and you're obviously very, very good at it because Amanda, you're not shy of the stage though, no, are you? You have no. been in things before. Yes, I have. I have. I did. Yeah, I've done about six West End shows, I think. And I do voiceovers and stuff. So I just, yeah. What is it of... that you love about it? Uh, I just am a big show off. <laughs> <laughs> I love Basically, the fact you're admitting that. I'm a big you seem show really off. shy yes. to me. So. <laughs> so it's just, it's channeling that. Otherwise, I just annoy people all, all the time, just showing off everywhere. Are you so the same? Nice. Are the, do you feel that sometimes you are the same on stage that you are off stage? I or? am, yeah, completely. I think, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think so. Am I? I don't know. Ask the. Yes. Uh, am I? Yes, I am. <laughs> now, so it's channeled Amanda. on stage. That's that's the difference. No, maybe not. Teresa, your part in the play this evening. Uh, well, I'm the pianist, <laughs> <laughs> so I just provide the uh, soundtrack. How long have you been playing the piano for? Um, I started when I was about two and a half, actually. Three. I started just playing, playing at the piano. My mum was a professional musician, and. Um, and at the age of about three, she she said she thought I was getting into habits, and so I I had uh, started lessons at four and did my first concert at five. How can you encourage more youngsters to carry on playing the piano? Because do you know what? I played the piano when I was a youngster at primary, mm. um, went on to secondary, still carried on playing the piano and the cello, funny uh-huh. enough. But then after secondary school, just gave it all up. Yeah, I mean, I I've done bits of teaching throughout my life, and I teach. I have taught a lot of adult pupils, and they all say that they learned when they were kids. They wish it carried on, and so that's basically the advice. My my advice is that, that you know, just uh, just find what you enjoy. You don't necessarily have to go down the sort of exam route. If you enjoy playing, then go down that route. You know, if you can play popular music, you can play jazz. I'm very passionate about jazz and. Opening but, that all up, for, you know, it, 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 anything that inspires you is what's important. Do you think, though, that when it comes to maybe being a student, you can't have a piano in your student flat? So maybe that's where it becomes a problem where you can't continue to play. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, you can certainly get keyboards. Keyboards are, are great. I mean, you know, they, they can, they're cheap. And, you know, if I think that that's a lot of my students went down that, that route, you know, having to, it's just a much easier, much, much easier way of, of transporting and practicing and just and, and, pl- and playing, you know, it's much easier to do it that way. Escapism yeah. also. Yeah, for sure. Escapism also. Yeah, for sure. And um, Catherine, this is an aid of a local charity, I believe. Yes, it is. Yeah, the Manx Breast Cancer Support Group. Um, who contacted us actually funnily enough um, originally because they found us on Facebook because I believe that they do an event uh, every year called Isle of Woman mm-hmm. and so they saw our our, um, our picture and our logo and um, got in touch with us and said oh look we've got the same name <laughs> and, uh, and I was talking to Carol from the charity who's been absolutely brilliant so we've teamed up with them and we are and we are doing a, a collection tonight they're going to be there with, with all their leaflets and telling people about what they're doing and also be doing a collection as well and and, and we're supporting them as a company. We're supporting them. Still tickets available? There are still tickets available, yes. So yep. go to the usual places, Villa yeah, Ticket. Villa Gaiety Box Office, yeah. Uh, find out, make sure that you get a ticket if you haven't got one already. So what's next for Isle of Woman? Um, for Isle of Woman, for this particular show, we are, um, we're tomorrow, we're in Shrewsbury, so we, we're carrying on. We need to get a very early ferry back oh, <laughs> over to the UK, which will be early. great. Um, and then next week, we're also, we're doing another show in Dorset, and then um, we'll be looking to take it out again later in the year. So. But you also have some very exciting things happening next week, don't you, Catherine? Um, got a release yes oh I do yes you're right thank you very much for that Christy yes I do yes um, I was in a film it's a horror movie so if anybody likes horror it's um, a film called The Forgotten and it's on DVD release next week it's actually been in the iTunes chart for a bit and it's it's been at number one in the iTunes horror chart for a while now and it's getting incredible reviews like 63 five star reviews and, and no one seems to be dissing it at all so that's marvellous you know what yeah. I wish we had another show to talk to these ladies they're full yeah. full of stories <laughs> and information so we'll have to get you back on air 
Did the servants gossip quite a lot about their employers then? Most servants were probably very loyal to their, to their mistresses and, and masters. And the gossip, I'm afraid, is mostly coming from me. So, <laughs> so the servants in our particular production are mostly loyal to our imaginary ladies of Ramsey. Um, we've got some that are perhaps not quite so... Um, trustworthy maybe so keep your handbags to yourself <laughs> what our cast have been tasked with doing is that I've given them all the source material they need so mostly brilliant stories from the Ramsey Courier like I say and then they've written their own scripts based on those stories so I'm not going to tell you um, any more information because you know too much about the tours already but one of them is about the governor on the Isle of Man and how his housekeeper was less than trustworthy and how that caused sort of panic throughout high society on the Isle of Man who were thinking, Ooh, can I trust my servant if, if the governor's servant's doing this? There's, there's some sort of printed off iPad screens. What's this all about? <laughs> it's all about Alice Gibb and her, we don't know what it is, relationship, I suppose, with a young man called Billy. It looks like iPads, but it's actually um, the text of the letters we've got in our archive from Billy to Alice. And you can see they started communicating in 1905 and he's still writing to her in 1920. What's really frustrating is that, of course, we don't have her letters to him. So we only have this sort of one-way communication. And he keeps asking her about an answer to his question, answer to my question all the time. And he, you know, he signs off, goodbye, dearest, with all my love. Good night, darling, and write soon. Try to try to solve the difficult question we have before us, and we think that Alice um, wouldn't leave Janet, her, her sister. She didn't want to leave her with this formidable auntie, although that is super, um, supposition. Maybe she didn't like him at all. I love this one at the end, which it looks like it's the final one, and the final line is just, "Tell me, Alice, will you say yes and come anyway?" <laughs> He'd gone to live in Canada at this point. He knew he was trying to persuade her to go out there, and he calls her my cow-eyed girl at one point. It's, yeah, it's very, very sweet. So he was persistent. He was very persistent. How, how lovely to have yeah. to have someone that persistent. Amazing. So if people want to come along to this, how do they do so? Do they have to book in advance? or? Um, we are recommending people book in advance because actually we can only fit between 10 and 15 people per tour. The only option now is to contact the Grove directly to, to book. So you can you can telephone and book your place and then pay when you get here. And the Grove had, has had some problems in the past few years with leaking water. In fact, I was talking to Max Radio about it at the time and that's all been fixed, which is fantastic. We've had to wait a whole year for the plaster work to dry out. So last year, the, ma the main corridor of the, of the house was looking very sorry for itself because all the plaster was off. But it's all replastered now and it's beautiful. So you should... So if nothing else, come and see the success of our roof repair. Come and look at the plaster. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to our Best Bits of the Week. If you missed any of last week's programmes and would like to hear them in full, you can listen on demand at manxradio.com for seven days after broadcast. And you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at MRWomenToday. Don't sit in the slow lane. Join the fast lane right now with Shaw's all-new Superfast Plus Broadband. Enjoy more bandwidth, amazing speeds and the best value on the island from just £23.95 per month. So don't be left behind. Get a piece of the high-speed action with Superfast Plus Broadband from Shaw. For details, visit our stores in Douglas, Ramsey and Port Erin or click shaw.com. Love being Shaw. Terms and conditions apply.